Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Now here's the show. So now we have about 10 to 15 minutes to take some questions from you guys. Anything you've ever wanted to ask about writing your first book? Uh, yes, right there in the back. Um, could you come up to the microphone, though? Because we are recording. Um, what would be your biggest tips for submitting to a publisher? So the first thing that I do after I finish a book is I, I do give it to someone because there's this whole writing thing where you can't write in a box, right? You have to let people see it. So I always have a group of alpha readers and I don't edit it at all. It's hot garbage. It's full of bad sentence fragments. It's full of typos. I do an F7 spell check and that's it. Here you go. And I just tell them, just look at the big things. Don't fix my sentences. And I just hand it off to them and I give them a month. And then I usually just write something else. That way you always have something working. Like when, and when it is on submission, you're, you already have something else you're working on. And then when they give it back to you, give it, well, get back to me in this scenario, then I fix all the things. Because like there's revisions have to happen, right? So I fix all the things and then I usually send it out again and tell people, like, tell me what, what's wrong with my sentences. And after that's done, then it's, I consider it about clean enough for submission. So when you submit, most publishers, if you want to be traditionally published, will not take an unsolicited manuscript. You have to have an agent first. So you're going to actually focus on agents before you focus on publishers. And the biggest thing to do, like you can literally just Google um, agents, whatever genre you have. So adult horror agents, and they'll just pop up a whole bunch or, you know, young adult fiction contemporary agents, and it'll show you people who rep that stuff. But every agent and every publisher is going to have a different submission guideline. So you just have to go to their website and read what they have. Some people just want a query letter. Some people want a query letter and a synopsis or the full manuscript. And then it's like, well, what's a query letter? Google. Like Google really, like, I mean, that sounds really stupid for me to say, but you can really Google a lot of things and figure out how stuff works. And again, not writing in a box. It's like send that query letter when you write. It's basically the back cover of the book. Send it to your friends, say, how can I make this better? How can I make this stronger? And they'll rip it apart for you and you fix it. And then you just get that package together and you submit it. But you have to look up who you're submitting to because everybody wants something different. Yeah, my advice is this, um, and it's gonna sound really difficult, but I promise you it will be pleasurable for you. Um, I would, go, whatever genre you're gonna submit, like if you've written a young adult novel or an epic fantasy novel or a mystery novel, I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would pick up every single book on the shelf in that category and look through the acknowledgement page of that book and see if the author has acknowledged his agent. Most do. Okay, most of them will. And you can collect a, a list of about 25 agents that are going to show up over and over in different writers. And that's how I did it. A couple things that are good about this is... You're going to be in a bookstore. You're going to be looking at a lot of books. You're going to find a lot of agents. And you're also going to be exposed to every single book that you're going to be competing against. And you're going to be exposed to a lot of cool books that you might want to read. And you can buy them. So it's, 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 a, it's the best way to do it. And it's not going to take you that long, I promise you. It'll, I mean, you, you'll spend more time fishing around on, on Google 
then you can and you can just go to the bookstore and figure this out. Along with that, it's really important, like whatever way that you take, whatever works for you as far as finding um, names of agents, it is really good to go and read the books that they represent so that you know what they like. I remember when I was querying, I had this one agent in my head that I wanted for some reason, and she rejected my manuscripts. Like she actually wrote back to me. Most don't. They just ignore you, which is really, really good for your self-esteem, by the way. I actually read one of the books that she represents, and I was like, oh, you like not the kind of YA fantasy and sci-fi that I write, like not even a little bit. And so there's a lot of variation and like subjectivity even within genres. So it's really good to do research that's beyond just like their bio and what they represent, but like actually knowing what they like. Thank you so much. Great question. Next question. I have a stylistic question that if you're writing in third person close, do you like to see it going into first person in italics for that person's direct thoughts, or is that kind of passe or a no-no right now? Every writer is going to do that different because if you look at some of Stephen King's novels, the inner dialogue the character has is not in italics in some of the books, but then in other Stephen King novels, it's in italics. So even just that one author has done it differently, and that might be a stylistic choice that his publisher made, because each publishing house has a kind of a style guide they go by, and they kind of are married to it no matter how much you hate it. Um, <laughs> you yeah, guys so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Publisher's going to change it for you anyway. It's true. <laughs> but what about the switch from going from third person to first person in their thoughts? I always do italics because I feel like it's less confusing that way. But do what makes you happy. Put like three brackets around it. Don't I think as long as it's <laughs> obvious what is happening in the prose, then you're fine. Like, as long as your readers say that. Thank you. Good question, too. Purple shirt here. What do you keep private and reveal in, in personal thoughts? And then what do you manifest through dialogue? And how do you keep the balance between the interaction between what actually is expressed and what is going on? That is a super hard question. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. That, that's the, the problem with a question like that is, like, it depends on the story. It depends on the characters. It depends on what's happening right now. Because, you know, if we have this girl on a bus who, now that if I read it the way that she's, like, some secret agent, that makes it really interesting. You know, she could get on the bus and be like, I'm a secret agent. I'm going to find out about this guy, like, internally. And she wouldn't go up to someone and be like, I'm a secret agent, like not in dialogue. She would never do that, right? Because that would ruin everything. It really just depends on what is right for the story and what is right for the scene. Because if you're writing a scene and like talking something out or blatantly stating something just doesn't feel right, then don't do it. Like, like at least the way I go, it's, it's all by feel. It's not something I actively think about. It's just how what feels right. So I don't know if there's a really... Yeah, it's, it's an intuitive thing that you learn kind of over a course of writing a lot and reading a lot, uh, specifically reading a lot. I would take some of your favorite novelists that you're trying to maybe emulate, and I would take a few of their books and really dissect them like you're taking a test on it. That's what I did when I started writing my epic fantasy. I grabbed the first Game of Thrones book, the first Wheel of Time book, the Tad Williams' first Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn book, and I, I actually studied how these guys were revealing exactly those kind of things and when they were doing it and making notes and, and comparing the different authors. The only thing I would add is that the books that are easiest to read have an even balance of those things, of blocking and of internal thought and of um, dialogue. Like, I mean, each scene is different, but it's good to mix it up and not have a whole lot of just one. Thank you. For particularly if you're starting out, how do you find the audience or the niche for your writing, I guess? 
how to write to a particular genre of audience, that sort of stuff? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, which is really obvious, is like if you're reading a lot in that genre, it's going to become pretty intuitive to you. Another thing that comes to my mind is like people who write middle grade or people who write young adult. They're like, oh, if I'm writing to these people, I better dumb down everything I'm writing. And that's not anything you ever want to do. Usually it's more content anyway. It's not like simplicity of prose and so in that case like don't worry about it just write what you want to write and honestly I mean you could even start out right I'm going to write an adult horror and then halfway through you're like oh no this is a romantic YA just just go with it book. and then you can be like guess what the audience is now this <laughs> you know just however it comes out and whether you know if you're going to self-publish you can do a lot of things with marketing analytics that'll tell you who would like that kind of book and if you traditionally publish they'll do it for you I think that while you are writing, write what you want. And then, um, then when you edit, figure out what the market wants. By the way, I didn't mean to insult all the cosplayers in here when I said <laughs> oh, no. their selfies. I'm like, oh, I, 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 it's like, you know, I, I, I enjoy the cosplays and people should do it. And I'm just like, if, you're, if you come to a writing conference and all you do is cosplay, I think maybe you should do like you cosplayers are and come to the writing. He feels threatened by you. That's why he's yeah, I was like, I was like, Oh my gosh. It's like, I'm yeah. prepared to die. You know, like, okay. I uh, got it. <laughs> what I'm writing right now is actually a graphic novel. I don't know where any of the markets are for that kind of thing. Do you know where to find anything like that? It's probably the same research process. I don't, I mean, I have friends who do that, and I think it's a pretty competitive market, just like any publishing. Yeah, just do your research and figure out what agents and what editors are interested yeah, in. Yeah, go to the graphic stuff. novel right. section yeah. of the Barnes & Noble and look <laughs> through those, and, 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 and the address, the submission, the addresses to submit will just be right there. I think right with a lot of these questions, like, we have, especially in Utah, we have such an amazing writing community. Like we have so many like NaNoWriMo groups. We have so many, we have League of Utah Writers. I don't know how many groups they have. There's such amazing writing community here and online that you can easily, I bet if you look on Facebook for graphic graphic novel writers, you could find one that has 2,000 people and you can go in there and they'll be like, here's all your information. And it'd be so nice. We have such a great community. And I think for anybody, we should always be tapping into that. Yeah, you don't want to write alone or draw. Definitely. Thank you. Awesome. Great question. Next question. I was just curious what your individual uh, methodologies were for structuring your plot or doing your outlines. Or, you know, what works for you? I think for me, I have a cool idea. Usually it comes from like a scary dream or something. And then I come up with my characters and I come up with like the things that they want, the reason they can't have it, and what will happen to them if they can't have it. And then I come up with a plot from there. I'll come up with like how they get to their end goal and all the obstacles and, and bad people who get in their way. And I'll write all of that out and then I write my book and it usually ends up nothing like the outline, but that's how I start. So mine, my methodology has changed a lot as I've written, but from when I got published, I was like, let's try it this way. And then suddenly I got published. So I'm assuming it's good. So the two books I would recommend, at least for doing it my way, are How to Write Science Fiction and Fantasy by Orson Scott Card, and then Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, which is a screenwriting book, which is great for novels. Just ignore his page numbers. He'll say, oh, you have to do this by page 30, but screenplays are a lot shorter than novels, so you don't have to actually do that by page 30. It's like oh. a percentage thing. Yeah. Well, so what I do, so Orson Scott Card talks about how you have to create, this is her fantasy novels, you have to create your setting first because depending on what your setting is will be will affect your characters and who your characters are and who your characters are will affect the plot. So go setting, character, plot. 
so usually I will start with, uh, usually I start with a magic system. Like I get an idea for a magic system. It might be world-based, it might not be. And I think, well, that's really interesting. And then I flush out the magic system. And I think what kind of people would use this magic? What kind of world would have this magic? And from there on, I, I follow that tier of Orson Scott card. And when I have enough of an idea to see a story coming out, that's when I go to Save the Cat and I storyboard everything and post-it notes on my wall. And then I can see the holes where I'm missing things in plot or you can color code things like, oh, character one is green and character two is blue. And it's like, hmm, there's no character two in all of act three. That's a problem. And then I, you know, it just lets me visualize it. And once that's done, I can write an outline and write the book. I pretty much, what, how does George R.R. R. Martin say there's a, Writers who just do it on the fly, and then those who are... The gardeners and the architects. The pantsers and the gardeners. Pantsers and the outliners. 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 <laughs> so I, I don't know which is which, but I, I pretty much, the first half of them, I just kind of uh, flew by the seat of my pants and meandered around through it. And about halfway through, I'm like, yeah, there is an actual plot kind of running through this, and maybe I need to focus a little bit more on it and narrow it down and figure out how this is going to end. And then, so then I've got half the book written, and then I kind of plot out the rest of it, like where all these threads are going to kind of like that show lost you know like did you ever do you remember watching lost when about halfway through it you're like man they've got like seven thousand plot threads that they've introduced how are they going to tie it all together that's kind of the way i wrote my books and but then once you start outlining the rest of it you can realize which things you can eliminate and all of that stuff you wrote previous if that makes any sense at all yeah you go back and like reverse outline your first yeah. half yeah mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Okay, we have one more minute for a really short question right here, gray shirt. When you're writing a story that jumps between genres, where do you go to find an interest for that? Genre jumping is hard. Um, a lot of times if you jump genres too much, you do have to self-publish because the issue with that with traditional publishing is that the bookseller doesn't know where to, what shelf to put it on. So referring to Dan Wells again, he wrote a book that was fantastic called A Night of Black or Darkness. That was, it was satire and it was historical and it was adventure and it was horror. It was like so many things. And, and his agent couldn't sell it because like, well, where do we put this? So he did self-publish that one. It's doable because, what's his first book called? I Am Not a Serial Killer, right? It starts out as like a contemporary, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like fantasy, and you had no idea it was coming. And it, and it makes some people angry, and some people are like, whoa, this is amazing. So it can be done, but it is, it is definitely tricky. I think foreshadowing if you're, if you're going to suddenly introduce like a new genre, like, oh, guess what? Now there's spaceships. Foreshadowing that something of that could happen could help ease the reader into it. Somebody else say something smart. <laughs> David Weber jumped genres with his Safehold series where it's a third of it is straight up space opera. And then the other two thirds of it are straight up epic fantasy. And, but it makes sense the way he's written it. I know with my epic horror novel, it was kind of like, it was a cross between Horror, serial killer, Friday Night Lights, football, <laughs> big love, HBO series. I tried to like put everything I could think of in that novel. Now we know why it was 330,000 words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it had Mormon polygamists. It had high school football players. It had Indian folklore. It had like serial killers and gold miners and cowboys and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It had everything. That's called a kitchen sink novel. Yeah. <laughs>
I think that it's actually a really good idea to to take something that is not familiar in one genre and to put it in that genre. Like a while ago, people started doing heist books that were fantasy. I mean, you can do cross-genre stuff as long as it's really solidly in one genre. I mean, you can write whatever you want, especially if you're willing to self-publish. But. I mean, that's what Firefly was, right? Yeah, they took exactly. Western and put it into science fiction, but overall it's it. still science fiction. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be classified as a Western. If you have like an overall, like this is definitely where the book sits, then you're fine. Awesome. Great question. Thank you. And that is all the time we have. So we're going to go ahead and close out. But thank you, Charlie and Brian, for coming on the show. We loved having you. Remember, you can watch the video feed of this recording on YouTube, or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us ratings, reviews, and comments. It helps others to find the show. If you want to ask us questions or complain about life, the world, and everything, you can find us on Twitter at LitService or on Facebook and Instagram at LitServicePodcast, or you can email us at LitServicePodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks this episode to our intern, Chelsea Mortensen, and our sound designer and video wrangler, Jason Akinaka. Lit Service is brought to you by Writers Clearinghouse. Writers Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.